what's up everybody welcome to another episode of shooting the shit uh i'm sean gregoire our very sick co-host uh pat hardy <laughs> Kevin Barry. got bradley on the boards uh probably won't see him today but he's behind me hey what's up buddy <laughs> not brad the dad you're, you're brad the very the baby nice. is screaming in the background in the house somewhere upstairs. So, uh, mom's is here. Okay. Yes. <laughs> as as that. All right. So it seems uh, like a lot of people forgot about the virus, but the virus did not forget about us. Uh, as evidenced by my two evidently sick co-hosts, uh, we <laughs> we need to be more careful. Due to us not giving a fuck about it. They're closing Miami's beaches for July 4th weekend, so congratulations. We all earned it, and hopefully we can sit back and mask up and ride this out so we can start getting back to normal without killing someone's grandmother. All right, okay, how you doing, bro? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So uh, to kick us off here, it looks like Bubba Wallace, Wallace Smollett over here is a... Uh, Topic number one, what are y'all thoughts on, I guess, this uh, little emotional saga for the people, you know? Uh, for those that don't know, there was a noose. It was not found by him, but it turns out that, what they say, it was like some garage pulley or something like that. It had been there for a couple of months now going forward, so there was really no story there. So, Sean, what are your thoughts? Well... First off, I never thought I'd give this much thought to NASCAR. And we've talked about it twice in three weeks. That's a personal record for me. Uh, before this past these past three weeks, I haven't talked to NASCAR once in my life. But here we are. And I do commend them for trying to get racism out the sport. They did make a great gesture to Bubba because it must have took a lot of courage for him to come out and speak on racism in the sport where racists have been really comfortable for their entire history. Personally, I don't give a shit about when the noose was made. I don't care who it was for. I don't care when or how it was made. It should have been reported. They did the right thing. Bubba wasn't trying to cry wolf. And he should have been mad because I wouldn't want to work in an environment where nooses are anywhere either. And it's just been funny on Twitter with people arguing about the technicalities on whether it's a noose, like, oh, they don't have enough loops. <laughs> oh, oh, the oh the head is oh the, the little loop is too small for, for a human head. That's not a noose, that's a door. Like, shut up. Like like cut it out. It's just a, it's so somebody intelligence <laughs> watching racists argue about stuff. It's a waste of time, but I guess some people won't engage, so we're gonna keep arguing. So, yeah. Well for me, um I don't blame Bubba at all. I am getting these jokes off though because it's funny to me how Jesse and Bubba got the got they they look the same. They look like they're the same person. So <laughs> um, the jokes are going off. I'm not stopping that. I don't blame Bubba though. What I do want to look at and what I've been kind of investigating all week has been we know the culture of NASCAR and who primarily enjoys NASCAR. Not saying all white people that enjoy NASCAR races, but we know that that race has some racism and racist people in it, right? So if you were to say, hey, there's a sport in America 
where they're tying nooses up and leaving them in people's garages, what sport would you think that would be? NASCAR. Exactly. So even though this is a false flag or some type of misunderstanding, um, it's still pretty telling that it happened in NASCAR. And I 100% applaud NASCAR's gumption to try and get it out because that lets me know that they're aware that they had some type of optics problem with with people of color, with minorities engaging with their sport. That's why the Confederate flag is gone at Bubba's behest. Um, That's why they acted so radically when they saw the noose without first performing the uh, investigation and confirming and then coming out. Um, So so that was kind of cool. At first, I thought it was a setup. I thought they were setting Bubba up because they were really mad at him for getting the Confederate flag out of the sport. So I thought they, uh, I thought that they planted the noose and then self-reported the noose and then investigation found that the noose had in fact been there for years and that no one had left it um, for Bubba. Um, But it's not even worse. It I it was right? that's conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theorist in me. But um, uh, that's what I thought was initially happening. I was like, "There's no way they jumped the gun on this, and that noose has been there for a year." And you know, but again, I'm not a fan of NASCAR, so I don't know how those things go. I don't know how often garages are used. If that same person gets assigned that same bay every time they come through, which basically underscores the fact that I'm still not going to fuck with NASCAR <laughs> at all. And I will continue to not know anything about what they do. But, um, yeah, Bubba seems like a good dude. Get the jokes off. Ha, ha, he, he. Let's have fun with it. But I don't think Bubba is a bad guy. Um, and, and more power to him. I would say Bubba has me interested in NASCAR now. I have not watched it race yet, but I might give it a little chance. But, um, <laughs> but I'm going back saying I think they absolutely did the right thing. Like you guys said, someone on his team saw a noose. Hey, doesn't look right. I need to report that. And yeah, yeah they might have jumped the gun on the statement, but you had to. That's your only black driver. This appears to be a noose in the garage. If you don't come full speed, you not looking too good. And then all the people coming out and saying, oh, it was a hoax or whatnot. He didn't report it. He was noose was brought to him. He wasn't the one that saw it. And so and then he had to defend the fact that it was a noose. It's not just some pulley rope hanging in the garage. Somebody, somebody went it. through the motions of tying the rope together to look like a noose. But and then the other part is people are so offended that it wasn't an actual hate crime, but they didn't care about the Confederate flags outside the venue or the Confederate flag flying above the race saying defund NASCAR. Oh, let's just forget about that, but let's let's concentrate on this hoax. But but forget all the people outside with the Confederate flag. Nice man, Brad got opinions today. This is fantastic. Now, I didn't even see this coming. Fire them shots off. I'm all good with that. Me too. The hip. So like, I think my opinion on it was, you know, pretty much the same as everybody's. Like, I laughed. I, I had fun with the memes. I took it a little serious at first, and then you know, th- thankfully, it wasn't what we thought it would be. You would rather that happen, right? You would yeah. rather do what you did, uh, be in front of it, have the investigation in the manner in which you did. So I, I, I agree with how everything went down. I think it got me thinking. Uh, a, a meme I saw on Twitter personally was uh, basically saying, like, do you, you know, it seems. NASCAR in a short few weeks has done more arguably than the NFL. 
I didn't have an opinion, you know, either which nor way, but it was just something that when I read, I went, hmm, you know, like in terms of how they empower their one, you know, black person to use his platform for his voice versus like typically in in the NFL and, and sports culture, you know, like you have the platform, but you're not allowed you're not allowed to use it, you know, shut up and do your job type stuff. So I thought that was a pretty interesting take when I saw uh, when I saw that on Twitter. That that was one of the things that stood out to me personally on it. Yeah, it was also accurate. All right, all right, man. Let, let's get to Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons, Bill Simmons. So, um, John, you want to take that one? Yeah. So, <laughs> Bill Simmons, he had a he had an interview trying to defend his lack of diversity over at the Ringer, and that. That lack of diversity led to a quote where he said that his comedy, his, I mean, his podcasts are a business and this is not open mic night <laughs> or Dead Poetry Jam or whatever the hell he said. Either way, it was pretty, it was pretty ridiculous. And Pat, what are your views on it? Um, first off, um, let's connect some dots here, right? Bill Simmons, Boston guy, right? Yes, sir. Dots connected. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. I mean, that's honestly, honestly, I've never been a Bill Simmons fan at all. I don't know how he was getting off like he was getting off at ESPN. Now that I'm older, I do know how he was getting off because you know, you gotta, you have a base of people who believe what you believe, and you know. You, you're able to confidently share your thoughts and opinions and have these people agree with you and they fund you and, you know, it's all good. I was never a fan of Grant Lynn when he was over there running that. I'm like, what is this content that's trying to be funny? Not even really funny. Um, I didn't rock with him because Magic Johnson didn't rock with him because Mike Wilbon really didn't rock with him. Um, it's it's It was a lot of red flags to me when Bill Simmons was coming up that just really pointed me in the direction of not liking him. Um, I laughed at his WNBA jokes, but I never really took him seriously. Um, he, he's, he's very problematic right down to everything that he's done. The, the, the lack of diversity and the racism stuff is, is not surprising. Um, what I find funny out of the whole thing is um, going back specifically to his comments. Um, he says it's not open mic night when it comes to his uh, his hiring practices. He wants to hire individuals who are experienced, individuals who bring some type of flavor to the business that can enhance the business. But you hire your daughter at the point in time. I don't think she was any type of professional. I think she was still a teenager, right? That's correct. Um, you hired your nephew who literally has no skill whatsoever. Um, shout out to nephew though, because if I'm nephew, I'm, I want my uncle to put me on. So, um, but at the end of the day, the structure of this business is set up just like many other white businesses in America that work to keep black people out of places of experience, places of influence that because we don't have the experience, we can't get the job, but we also don't have the same bloodline. So we can't get the job. The bloodline is trumping the experience. So bloodline continues to move forward and we're out here having to, you know, create our own platforms to 
give our people experience. And at that same time, those platforms are being, I don't want to say degraded, but those platforms aren't held in the same regard as some of the more traditional um, white entities <clears throat> that have been created. So, um, but no, I really meant that as soon as this came out and based on the years and years of evidence Bill, Bill Simmons has left behind, the Boston bro was going Boston bro. So that's where I'm at with Bill Simmons. And um, yeah, Sean, go ahead and let me know how you feel. All right, so I wish I could say that I never liked Bill from Jump Street, but that'd be a lot. I liked him a lot. I liked Bill Simmons a lot when he first came out. He was the he was the first dude who introduced me to writing about basketball and sports in general from a fan standpoint. And back when I was young, I really wanted to write. I, I really wanted to study something unique. So I was studying his work for a long time. <clears throat> And but that was when I was like 21, 22, 23, that age. I'm older now and I stopped reading his articles because I got older. I started reading more advanced and more nuanced things, but his writing stayed the same. His writing stayed the same age, and it seemed like his writing was going after the same demographic. And looking back, because I read his entire book of basketball twice and didn't see a problem with anything he wrote there. But again, when I read it, I was 25. But looking back, he said some pretty awful shit. Like, all, all the quotes are in there. It's 700 pages worth of stuff, and this is a lot of stuff. You look back, and it's like, ugh, especially when you put it within the context of how he feels about producers of color and content creators of color basically being amateur hour is basically what he's saying. And it speaks to a problem in the media in general, where people don't really tune into podcasts like that on a large scale unless they're made or co-signed by a white entity. And I don't know what to do about that outside of building our own stuff. Uh, it's part of the reason I joined this podcast because uh, I want to I build our own thing. I don't want any handouts. I don't want any sponsorships from people who don't, who don't buy into what we're doing outside of tokenism. And it is annoying to have to take the stairs, so to speak, when we see other people who might be less talented like, take the elevator to success. But I think it's going to be worth it. So, Boo Bill Simmons uh, is disappointing, but looking back at it, it's not very surprising. So, Yeah, when I heard the quote, it was very disappointing because the ringer was someplace I did want to work at at one point, and Bill yeah. Simmons is somebody. I still listen to the podcast today, and it's still who I found still found entertaining, but it's disappointing to hear that. And to say this is an amateur hour that you need to put proven people on, but I'm not going to bang on his kids being a podcast because if my kids were old enough, of course, I would have them on for little discussions or whatnot. But when you hire your friends for a golf podcast or a food podcast and this and that, Fucking you can't say <laughs> you can't say it's not amateur hour. See, I won't even bang on Cousin Sal because he has a show on Fox 1 for gambling, so he has some kind of expertise, but you've proven that you've had people on that these are people you went to college with. Like, you, So don't say it's amateur hour when you're giving these people who just they happen to be white chances when you have black people who are just as capable or just as talented who are just sitting on the wayside and you don't, you don't give them the benefit of the doubt that a white person that your white uh, friends have, you won't give that bit of a doubt to a black person that they can be just as successful if you put the same amount of effort that you put behind your friends that you put behind this talented person. Uh, there was one Bill Simmons <clears throat> incident that I, I laughed at. 
it was back when Bron finally went back to back with uh, with Miami, and he was on NBA Countdown, and it was I think it was Magic, uh, Will Bond, Sage Steele, and Bill Simmons up there, and they were all commenting, and everybody's you know saying Bron finally you know they they put it together, Miami won. We're giving Bron his flowers because you know he pulled off a task that uh, not many have done. And then the first thing Bill Simmons opens his mouth to say is, well, uh, I'm so glad this is not the decision. And they cut my man off. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> off. <laughs> so that, that's basically uh-huh. what I do to Bill Simmons at any point now. Um, I think he used to be next to Jalen a lot when he was yeah. on ESPN. And I, I really like Jalen Rose. And the only reason I would listen to Bill Simmons was to get to Jalen Rose. Yeah, Jalen definitely gives him a really lot of credit for uh, starting his starting him off in media and whatnot. But and then the other thing is the a lot of the black podcasters that he does have, they don't work for the ringer. I'm pretty sure they get paid for the podcast they do, but they're not technically ringer employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just all that to say I'd never been a Bill Simmons fan. He was always a Boston bro to me and I don't really rock with any of that at all. So yeah. Definitely listen to more Jalen Rose these days than Bill at all. My only, my only thing with Jalen Rose is it takes him so long to get to the point sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Like, Jalen, you've been talking for 10 minutes. What, what is the point? <laughs> you be having hell's backstory to everything. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, Kevin, you got any, anything in depth to say about Mr. Simmons? I mean, y'all really took a, a big piece of that pie, especially like, I like what Bradley said, man, it's just you have you can't really clown the amateurs or try to knock the amateurs so to speak when when you bring amateurs to the platform it's just not the amateurs that are in your circle and so i think you said it beautifully you know some people are going to take the elevator and go right up and and then other people are just you know they're still going to have to take the stairs and then you know it's funny some of the stairs don't even lead anywhere you know it's like they uh they just keep going. You just keep walking up, but it's not really going anywhere. It's just to keep you occupied while, you know, people are doing stuff elsewhere. So, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's not the party I'm going to. So I kind of, I'm with Patrick. I already kind of knew, you know, what, what that station was about. So. Yeah. It's a whack shit, but what can you do? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just everywhere. Right. Yeah. The, I guess the biggest thing to remember is that Simmons ain't unique. He, he's just the latest one who was goofy enough mm-hmm. to say something out loud. And, and it just speaks to a majority of people who have that mindset and uh, it's whack, but what can you do? All right. So finally we'll go into Vince Carter who officially retired oh, a couple man. of days ago. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he said he wasn't playing that shit. He'll just stick it out elsewhere. <laughs> He'll just start playing golf right now. I don't blame him at all. Uh, so, Brad, what, how do you feel about Vince and his career? What, what are his most memorable moments for you as a fan and covering him and everything else? It's sad to see Vince go. Like, one of the probably arguably the best dunker the NBA has seen. I mean, we've seen some pretty good ones now, but everybody always goes back to that dunk contest that he won. And it's just like, it's ridiculous. Like, of course, we've had Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon since then, but I think Vince 
that's just an iconic dunk contest. And then anything, his whole overall career from Toronto to Orlando to finishing out in Atlanta. Of course, I wish I wish he had joined the contender at the end instead of just kicking it in Atlanta. But I guess that's where his house is. So be close to the home. And I think my most memorable moment of him is dunking is the Olympics when he jumped over with Frazier oh, Weiss. Yeah. He prevented yeah. the he stopped the man from coming to the NBA. The man was drafted. It never came. <laughs> he was yeah, so he, was he had to be so right? embarrassed. Damn, Vince. <laughs> he ruined like, no. that man. I forgot about that because he was like the next drafted him. I think it was I the believe next. so. Yeah, <laughs> that's very bullshit. Nickish, though. That's very Nickish. <laughs> like, man, you you were overseas, wilding. Why did you you jumped over the seven foot tall man? It just nah, dumped. It, seven three. He was seven three. Yeah, that was a big motherfucker. Even back then. But yeah, man. go ahead, Pat. Yeah, um, I'm I'm glad he's finally at that point where he can say, like, yeah, this is it. I'm walking away. Because I'm going to be honest, fellas, for, like, the last six years, I was like, this man looked like Lil Wayne on tour, dog. Why is he still signing up? Why is he still playing? Is his money not good? I know he had a big house in Florida. I never really hear that he he didn't manage his money. So that's this is how I was feeling and how I was thinking. I was like, man, why is Vince still? He didn't did enough. He's iconic enough. He's for sure first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, rings or not, I mean, there's plenty of guys that got rings that are going to be underneath Vince as far as profile goes in the NBA when it's all said and done. So um, I'm glad that he's finally at the point. I hope everything is all right. Um, I think they said he was the last NBA player uh, in the league that was on the N64 platform (laughs) video game. So I'm glad that we can... I'm glad we can finally move past that primitive piece of uh, uh, equipment and get everybody into the PlayStation Xbox. Uh, um, so, because um, you got to believe it's somebody, man, you got to believe it's somebody that's out there right now that's looking for that NBA 98, whatever the game was, the Kobe Bryant Showtime, whatever they, whatever that game is. And it's, it's going to do numbers now because Vince is gone. So um, I'm happy to see him uh, find his peace and finally retire. Um, hopefully Wayne can find the same piece with baby and stop touring because it's time to hang it up. We don't I think, see I think coronavirus has uh, done that for him. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we don't want any more new music. We don't want any more tours. Just hang it up and do <laughs> everything. From, no reason. <laughs> I'm sick. If this could bottle his career and do everything from 98 to 2000 and Eh, 2014, 2015, I'm cool. You know, if Wayne can bottle everything up and do all his hits from 96, 97 to 2008, 2009, I'm cool. But we didn't, them guys hit a point, um, and it was it was just time to go. Vince did transition from the high flying, you know, take it, taking you off the dribble and and getting to the rack to shooting. So that was that was unique to see. And, he did that well enough to, I guess, hang around in the league. But, yeah, I'm glad to see it's wrapped up. He made so many odd choices in teams, though, after Orlando. He did 18, what? 18. Phoenix, 18. Dallas, and then Atlanta. Wow. Like, my man, Memphis. you're not trying to join any kind of contender? I, mean, I forgot Memphis, too. Memphis. He hit a few. I think it was one of those things for me. I'm not going to lie. I did. I enjoyed seeing him 
he's seemingly kind of on a lot of those teams. You know, he he was obviously the vet and uh, just mentoring guys about the league, getting guys acclimated up to speed. Um, uh, yeah, I, I respect that because, like you say, you got to be able to transition your game. And I think, you know, obviously, if you you've been there since N64, you know, like you you you've seen a lot. So definitely a dunk contest stands out in my mind. Um, air vents, you know, you just you'll 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 always see that. That'll just always be in some type of NBA montage. So. Uh, well, I think the the thing that I look back on more than anything is his time in Toronto when he was a, a really young, basically a superstar. And how many people are going to be able to say that they put basketball on the map for a whole country? You know what I mean? Like, that, that's a real thing because Toronto is a world-class city, but Canada is was exclusively a hockey country. And Vince basically put basketball on his back over there and basically made it into a mainstream thing and he did that with the clubs and basically black culture over there they really didn't know anything about that outside of local toronto stuff and vince was instrumental in putting toronto on the map as a place to be and i know there's a black mark with the way that vince left toronto but if you look back at it and you look at the way the media was treating him at the time since when he was getting hurt and everything else they was calling him soft they was calling them all types of things he said something about his mama i would have left too and my big what if events is what his career looked like if he and t-mac were healthy and they just both stuck it out in toronto throughout the prompts just having that backcourt Having that that wing set, just those two, Oof, just dunking on everything. Because you got Bosch in 03. You got oh, drafted yeah. Bosch in 03. But yeah, like they Kyle. weren't guaranteed to get Bosch, though, if they were still that good. Yeah. Yeah, so that as fair. So you can't play it like that. But, I mean, you could have had, like, any lottery pick. And, mm. I mean, Vince T-Mac and, like, some other big, that's, that's something to deal with in the East for the next God knows how long. So... I wish that T-Mac hadn't gotten homesick and ruined kind of Vince's career by proxy by going to Orlando. <laughs> but that's what happened, and we'll never know. But I really do appreciate Vince's contribution to the game. Again, he put um, he put Toronto on the map as far as the basketball um, thing, and I think it's kind of noble for him to, instead of chase rings towards the end of his career, just to kind of be around because he loves it. Like Ideally, it's not because... Like he was going through financial stuff, or he had demons that he hey, was. I hope so. I yeah, hope I, so. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that it was literally <laughs> just the just the love of the game. You know that corny stuff that that's really cool, and like you no, know, just teaching Trey, just showing Trey the ropes before he left. I think that stuff is really cool. I don't value rings as much as a lot of people do when talking about people's careers because a lot of that stuff is circumstantial and. You got rental really ring is hard, man. Not I mean, people don't do it. AI do it, and I don't think that that makes his career any worse. So I, I don't really knock people like that. Not everyone is gonna win all the rings. It's normally just one or two people. So, all right. So before we go, uh, would you guys like to share <laughs> your respective bouts with <laughs> coronavirus or coronavirus-like symptoms? <laughs> Uh, I don't care. Um, you actually have it, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm official. I'm official. So hopefully, I am 
on the outskirts of it. I mean, I, I don't, I feel pretty normal right now. Like I literally, I went running earlier today. Um, I haven't felt like as heavy on the chest, stuff like that, but I mainly had like chills, um, very fatigued out last weekend. I didn't even do it. Like I went to bed like eight o'clock on a Friday. I was like out, like I was like, what the hell? And, uh, that was my weekend until Sunday. Um, like just chills, low energy, I would I congestion too, yeah, congestion. And uh that seems to be wrapping up. Um other than that, I guess that's how younger people I guess have felt. Some some people won't feel that at all. Um others as we've seen and you know the media's tried to portray, you know, ending up in the hospital and stuff like that. So thankfully that wasn't me. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get tested early next week so I can get that negative so I can be back out in the world. Yeah, hopefully you don't catch it again because as a thing that's happening to people. <laughs> like you just catch it twice. All right, so Pat, uh, you felt like crap all, all day, although you put in a very valued performance. Despite that, tell us how yeah. you've been feeling. Uh, you know, mine is um, I've had non-related coronavirus symptoms where it might be allergy season, sinus infection for me here in Arizona. Um, so I don't know if it's related to coronavirus at all, but I do have corona tales to spill to everyone. So I am in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, my son is an athlete. He is raring to go. He's ready to get out with his teammates and get ready for their football season. Um, he participated in a seven-on-seven tournament. It was a two-day tournament last weekend. Um, me, his mother... And our close family friends, we bonded together and we said, we're going to go out here. It's 110 degrees in Arizona. So we're going to get a tent. We're going to get our lawn chairs. We're going to set up our space and set it up to a way where it social distances us from everyone. And we're going to wear our masks because we're not playing no games with this virus. We get out to this field and I tell you, there's probably seven to eight hundred people. Oh, you can probably oh. count on your hands and toes, the number of people that actually have masks on that are oh. actually trying to um, not die. practice the <laughs> CDC guidelines. Um, there was at least four or five people that walked under our tent that we had set up with no mask on and thought it was so cool to catch some shade from us uh, without even asking. We had to kind of boss up uh-huh. on them. Like, listen, under any other circumstance, wouldn't mind sharing this shade with you. But we don't know you. We need you to get out of the tent. Uh, people had attitudes with that. We would ask people to keep their six feet distance. We're trying to social distance. Oh, well, it's just a hoax. And, you know, we don't have our mask. and We're all right. So what scares me the most about Arizona, at least the people I've been around, is that there's an air of defiance about this. And it's not even just, oh, I forgot, or we don't, we don't have a mask, or, you know, eh, that works for you. It's not going to work for me. It's, a, it's an air of, you're not going to tell me what to do. Uh-huh. I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't tread on me. Don't infringe on my rights. So I think we're, we're just going to shut everything down because you cannot trust the people around you. That's what I've been learning about this entire social experiment, that you cannot trust the man in the next house to do anything to protect your family. So you got to protect your family the best way you can. Right now, it's a stiff arm. Ah, we're not fucking with y'all. Holler at me later. Um, be cool because yeah, folks out here is crazy, and 
And last piece, do not allow anyone, and this is coming from Pat. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Speaking specifically about Phoenix, do not allow anyone to try and tell you that the Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd protests, the Breonna Taylor protests, the Ahmaud Arbery protests, don't allow anyone to tell you that this it this uptake of cases is coming from the protesters. Specifically, because I can go to Old Town Scottsdale tonight and see bars packed out with nothing but young, vibrant, mid-20-some-odd white couples, young, vibrant, 20 uh, mid-20-year-old black couples wanting to go out and just live their life. People are going back to normal. This is not a byproduct of protesting. This is a byproduct of people who have been in their homes and are feeling some type of way about being told what to do. Could protesting have caused some of this? Absolutely, but we're, I won't allow anyone to tell me that protesting 100% is the cause for this outbreak because it's just foolish for you to say so, foolish for you to think it, foolish for you to try and convince everyone else that that's the reason why. Word. Uh, that's a great way to end it. Bill Sims, you see that? We had two people with coronavirus. They about to die putting out great content, but we fucking deaf comedy jam to you. Shame on you, Bill Simmons. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. Uh, that will wrap it. Hey, on them. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> so that will wrap it up for us. Thank you very much again for joining us. Uh, numbers looking up a little bit. I appreciate you guys watching. We're going to keep coming with it as long as we are even remotely healthy and able to do so. So for for Pat, for Cat, for Brad the Dad, uh, I am Sean Gregoire. Thank you guys so much for listening. And that will be a wrap for this episode. Yep. Shit.